Well, Brent is gay and Kaylin's gay and Clark is gay and Ryan's gay and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 196. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. And I'm Brent Wingate. And this week, uh, Loki finished its first season and ended the run of new MCU Disney Plus shows. Uh, we are going to make a quick stop to the trailer park for Titans, Why the Last Man, and weirdly, the movie Free Guy. Uh, there are plenty issues to cover, but only the comics and not our deep insecurities. And we've got news about the Emmys, Star Trek, and Captain America. Uh, but first, a little housekeeping. Uh, Vicky and Kiana have a new video you can watch on our Instagram or brand new YouTube series. Uh, both are called Home Superior Podcast. Please, uh, you know, smash that subscribe button. Um, I think that's what we were supposed to do. Uh, and uh, next week, we're going to have a full breakdown of all the details, themes, and events from Loki season one. And we're also going to have our review of the new Black Widow movie that's in theaters and on Disney Plus now. You know it's out. If you don't, I don't know why you listen to this podcast. Let's talk about Loki, uh, episode six, for all time, always. Obviously, we're going to have a bunch of spoilers, and we're going to kind of limit some of our conversation here to what actually happened in the episode to give you some of that uh, good uh, analysis juice that you might get from listening to the extra issue. All right. Loki and Sylvie have reached the end of the line at the Citadel at the end of time. We learned that the person behind the TVA is a Rick who developed the Council of Ricks and then went to war with all the other Ricks. Um, so let's start with the biggest reveal of this series. Um, Kang is the one running the TVA. And, uh, and also in this version, he, it's, in this version his, he's called the He Who Remains, who is a different character in the uh, uh, comics. Um, what did you think of this reveal? And what did you think of, uh, you know, our first look of Jonathan Majors in the role? Caitlin? Uh, I'm shocked that they didn't just call him Immortus because that's essentially who he was in the comics, uh, like a different iteration of Kang who goes to, sometimes goes to war with his um, younger, more um, warlike self. But both Clark and I uh, over the last several weeks have, you know, talked about like it's got to be Kang at the end of this. Like we'd be disappointed if Kang isn't revealed as part of this, especially as we know Kang is supposed to be the villain uh, in the third uh, Ant-Man and Wasp movie, Quantum Mania. And for those of you who have been paying attention, Jonathan Majors was also cast as Kang in that movie. So as soon as you saw him, it's like for those of you who read IMDb like myself, you're like, oh, OK, cool. That's him. Um, I liked him a lot in the role. I um, I liked how weirdly off kilter he was. He wasn't. He didn't sound like a like a would be conqueror. He didn't sound like a Thanos, for example. And he's so talented that like his cadence and his uh, uh, like kind of like his approach changed scene to scene to keep us a little bit off kilter. And I, I really really like that. I think that was done by design. I thought it was a pretty strong closing, even though uh, it didn't resolve very much. Um, I, I like that, like, we are going to get a second season, but we'll talk more about that. But Clark's got his hand raised, so go for it, Clark. I feel like that was a strong penultimate episode to a different series. It just, it, 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 
felt so disconnected from everything else that was going on just because of the importance of a character we had never seen before, we meaning the, the watchers of this series. Um, I don't think this was a Mortis, and that's why it, they didn't call him a Mortis. It's, it's, we're going to have to have Kang go up against another version of himself, and besides Ramatut, those are the three that have to go against each other. We can't just have one of those three major ones die in uh, 15 minutes. I, I quite liked him. It's just I, I was worried at first that like I didn't like him because it didn't feel like a Mortis because that's what I thought it was, but he was fun, interesting. A, a big info dump that was at least enjoyable. Yeah, I definitely think that as a you know, as an actor and as a part, it it's already set up to be very interesting to see the different ways that Jonathan Majors is going to play this role, mm. you know, and what what might be the same connecting theme across them or the same ticks that they all have. Um, I think that um, you know the way that he initially kind of referred to himself as the conqueror or you know he who remains and then the way he refers to stopping himself he really does identify with the collective eye of across the multiverse and so in my mind the the benefit was that we're not really seeing kang the conqueror we're seeing kang the whatever it's just some other version that doesn't need to have that same you know uh, terrifying status Kayla. Um, going back to what Clark said, I, I think that's a like the right assessment. It's the penultimate episode of a different series, and it really shouldn't have worked, but it worked a lot for me because um, I've been, I think, more charitable about the series than like Clark has, for example. Uh, but I've had, I think, there's been some problems, specifically, I think, around the Loki Sylvie relationship, even so much so that the the kiss that they have at like you know before. Um, uh, Sylvie throws Loki back to the TVA is lacking in chemistry completely. It just felt so sexless and so neutered. Um, but if you ask somebody who really loved the show what they thought of this episode, they didn't like it. If you talk to somebody who was a little iffy on the series, they really liked this episode. And I'm in the latter camp. Yeah, the relationship between Loki and Sylvie um, in this that this is one of the scenarios where it would have been great if Disney decided to make them sexless. If they were just instead good friends, it would have acted as a kind of counterweight to the other versions of Loki sees of himself, of this person who constantly destroys, that he could actually fall, himself, fall in love with himself in some meaningful way, that there was actually some representative good that he could uh, attach himself to and that they could actually be friends rather than this kind of weird, not incestuous, but, you know, I guess it kind of is uh, cross-dimensional uh, love. Um, Clark, you mentioned uh, the kind of exposition dump that happened in this episode. Um, do you think that uh, the exposition worked in, in this? Uh, you know, why do you think that you, were, you, you might have found this less entertaining or worse because of how much just literal story we got about what caused the multiverse of wars and Kang himself. I don't know. What I really want to see is if Miss Minutes showed back up and already had a video cued of the same animation that they did when they had the first episode of like what the timekeepers were just to show it in a better way than just some weird melting figure. That 
was boring as hell to me. I, I don't know. I, it, I wanted it to be more insane looking. And th- at least make it a little fresher than what it was there. I don't want to see this guy slightly melt and come to a different form and back and forth and back and forth. It just looked dull. Yeah, that part uh, did seem like uh, maybe a little bit too CGI. I think making it a cartoon could have been a fun, you know, callback to the very beginning of it because, you know, this is all about repeating the cycle of, um, you know, the cycle of these time wars. Um, You know, going back a little bit, you know, I think the other good pick for, you know, the villain of this story, I think would have been Loki because it is about him facing himself. But if we're gonna go through this, you know, repeating of loops, um, I like that there is some, I would like more thematic ties to the rest of the story with the inclusion of Kang in it. Um, you know, when we saw the, tra- I don't know if you guys saw the trailer for the this episode, but we got some shots of Loki as the King of Asgard, which was not included in this episode. Um, what did you think of the strategy of including fake outs in the TV trailers? Kayla? I didn't actually see that trailer, but I like it generally. It reminds me of when they did that stuff for like Infinity War and Endgame to throw people off. There's like that one scene in the Infinity War um, uh, trailer where they had the Hulk running in Wakanda. Hulk never shows up really in, uh, in Infinity War. So like I'm for that just to throw people off the scent a little bit. So in this case, I actually think it really worked effectively um, for the actual story that they were trying to tell. You know, you watch the trailer and you think you're going to be getting some particular piece of content. So when Miss Minutes is tempting Sylvie and Loki with the possibility of some alternate world, in the back of your mind, you've got Loki as King of Asgard as something that you think about. And it's, a, it's an interesting way of playing with how do you raise the stakes for you know, this emotional possibility. Um, Sorry, Clark. I was just thinking about, I don't know. Every other character in this felt like spare parts, barely, almost including Loki himself and herself, just felt like just unnecessary pieces in this episode. I mean, Ravana was there, but then she wasn't there. I I don't know. WD-40 just showed up for a hot second. I don't know what the point of any of these characters were for this episode. I don't know. Kaylin, you were talking about there being two camps. My camp was the I hated this camp and, and what, ha- what like, you know, I don't like the series. And then what did I feel about the last one? It's, it's, it's kind of still negative. That's my third camp is me. Okay. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think it was a lot of setup for like a lot of what was happening in the TVA, like Ravona um, uh, is a WD-40. Is that the, the one who like, Got, was she got the revelation earlier yeah, in the season Mutaku from um, Lovecraft Country that's right and so I mean her like being able to show the other TVA agents that like Ravona was like that prince she was the principal at uh, Just... F- FDR high school um so I think that's that's huge one but, but imagine then... nothing now nothing and then now it doesn't matter anymore because no one remembers anything like what the fuck's the point of that scene who cares I don't know um I do think I I did like the end of the episode when Loki's running around and he finds Mobius and Mobius doesn't recognize him. And he's like, or he thinks he's an analyst. He's like, you're an analyst. You're like, why are you so freaked out? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. 
Like, I, I really kind of like that. I think that was a nice cliffhanger. Great gut punch. I mean, you know, I love time, time travel stories, any time-based story. Uh, so the possibilities, the, seeing all those timelines branch off and then the gut punch of Mobius not recognizing, you know, the best, his, his best friend, as, as it were, in this universe. Uh, and then revealing that Kang is now running the TVA more, uh, you know, openly. I thought it was great. Uh, yeah. Any last thoughts on this? Uh, I'm just curious when the um, second season will come out. Is it supposed to come out before Multiverse of Madness or after? No, they Do haven't even announced when. They haven't announced when. They don't know. They're they're okay. in. It's in. De- it's not even development. It's in like negotiations. So I don't think anything's been fucking written at all. But Tom Hiddleston has said he will absolutely play Loki forever if he was given the opportunity. But then again, who wouldn't? Um, <clears throat> all right. Yeah. Uh, we'll of course. Uh, dive deeper into all of Loki uh, in our extra episode, which you can listen to next week. Let's go on down to the trailer park. All right. We got a trailer for Titans season three. Uh, So HBO uh, Max released the first trailer for Titans. Uh, It looks like the season's going to involve the Red Hood, Scarecrow, somehow the return of Donna Troy. She died in a small electrical accident. Um, (laughs) And there's a the Starfire sibling rivalry. Um, is there anything about this trailer that makes you more interested in the series? Kayla? I don't know if interest is the right word, but I was like, huh, they're going to give us the whole death in the family storyline and under the, under the Red Hood storyline, like in, in one season. Um, I think it's so funny, like DC properties just love mining Batman's mythos like his like greatest hits and like we're getting more of that that'll if I had to guess that'll be the most interesting part of the season uh because I think we all like the character or the actor who played Jason Todd uh I think his transformation from Robin to Red Hood was telegraphed in earlier seasons um I sort of weirdly like uh Jonah Mormont as Bruce Wayne um as is like older like a little grizzled you know trying to put on the worst american accent i've ever heard for swain uh but the rest of it i don't know i mean seeing nightwing in live action make, will make me happy and so that being my favorite superhero and the the guy who plays him is kind of a snack like doesn't make me mad other than that like, i'm like yeah do you like all the posters how they really try to emphasize the kind of joel schumacher bulge of nightwing's uh, suit. It's like, okay, well, lean into that part of Nightwing's uh, outfit. He has his gay fans and his uh, uh, straight women fans, so or bisexual women fans, like, go into it. When I clicked on the trailer link, um, the first thing that happens is, like, zipping, and it's like a close-up of, like, crotch area. Like, it's, it was a hoodie, but at least it started at the bottom of the hoodie, and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> what am I... What, what did I click on? Uh, um the only thing i liked it was when donna not donna troy excuse me jesus christ starfire is walking and she's walking with like a big old like sachet like ass swishing everywhere i was like all right i like that pose that's all i liked. i'm sure there'll be some disco song that like follows that too and i'll be happy about it yeah uh we also got our first teaser trailer for why the last man um which will be on fx um the this clip uh picks particular jobs that are dominated by men 
and shows how many people died uh, by highlighting the percentage of people who were lost within that particular occupation. Um, what was your initial reaction to this teaser? I thought it looked kind of cool. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the thing I liked most about it was that it's actually a fucking teaser trailer. It isn't giving you the same content of a trailer cut shorter. It's presenting the information in some other way mm -hmm. to get you excited about the show uh, or uh, get excited about the show conceptually rather than just visually. I got a feel. Yeah, I agree with that. I got a feeling of like whether it's like Jonathan Hickman or Brian Wood in some of the way that they use iconography and imagery in their comics of using like various symbols and pictures rather than actual live action people. Um, like I, I'm with Clark. Like we've talked about the series before. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm like sort of intrigued to watch it because I feel like the concept is past its expiration date. Uh, I am very thankful it is not on Netflix. Like uh, FX will probably handle it better than like whatever nonsense goes on Netflix, any, any comic book adaptation. I almost kind of wish it was on Amazon because I think Amazon does it the best out of, or, or HBO Max for that matter. I think but, I would like uh, to see it on AMC. AMC is also good. AMC would also be good, but um, you know, um, it could be it could be all right. This is going to be the biggest dog whistle of a show. It's going to be so stressful to watch, just because you know half of whatever audience is going to be is going to be screaming about it on some forum or some website, and I I don't know what it's going to do. As Kalen said, it's way past its expiration date in terms of what it can talk about. I already talked about the fact that. A, a big character, big big situation in this is Israel, because you know the fact that women have to be in the army as well. So there's a ton of female military in Israel, makes it an important part of the comic series. But they're not going to touch on that at all. They can't touch them at all. That's dog whist dog whistling in itself with that situation. I don't know what they're going to do. The women in this team, this comic, I mean, it's there are a lot of not negative characters because bad women can be bad people too. I don't know what, how the audience is going to react to that. I don't know what the fuck's going to go on. I don't know. What, I, I, I don't know. I love this comic and it's going to be so fucking weird to see what it does. I think it'll be, it definitely will be interesting. Um, you know, when, when people are making adaptations, uh, I hope that they really realize they need to adapt it, that um, you can't just take, what's on the page and translate it to a screen. So uh, if there's, you know, if they maintain some sense of thematic elements, there can be good females, there can be bad females, uh, that'll be great. But if they, uh, you know, try and stick to the letter of the text, they're probably not going to be very effective at making any substantive point or any nuanced uh, critique of like what's going on right now. Um, did either of you? Did either of you guys watch uh, the preacher adaptation? I tried no. it. I didn't <clears throat> get through it. Yeah, I didn't finish it either. But I think it kind of hit what Brent you were saying about like it was not a literal adaptation, but a more of a thematic adaptation. Like, but taking certain aspects of it um, more literally. Like they don't leave. Like they don't leave salvation the town that like where the story begins until the second season or third season. Um, whereas in the comic, like it's a road trip from the very, very, very beginning. Right. Um, we also got a trailer for, 
well, it's not really a trailer. It's more of a, a, a commentary trailer on the movie Free Guy featuring Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi. Um, but the commentary is from Deadpool and Korg, which means that this is, I guess, because of Deadpool's meta-ness, the first canonical inclusion of Deadpool actually in the MCU. Um, Clark, what did you think of this? Uh, I mean, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I mean, the fact that Free Guy is one of the last remaining Fox production films that were in production that are finally coming out means that Disney had to sign off on this. Marvel had to sign off on this. And therefore, this, in a way, must have somehow actually, you know, happened in the Marvel Universe in some weird way. And the fact that he, at the very beginning, he was talking about how he and one of the dogs from Corella, from the movie Corella, had to do the previous taping for for that makes it just weirdly connecting with tons of Disney stuff in a very strange way. Yeah, and I also did like you know because it does look like they put in the effort to have like an animated cord there that doesn't look absolutely dog shit, but yeah. they really tried to minimize the amount of words that Taika Waititi used, so they're they're not having to constantly like have him shuffle around or open his mouth at all, which I thought was uh, pretty funny. Um, we also got uh, our first uh, trailer for The Trial of Magneto, the upcoming storyline within the X-Men comics. Uh, uh, Kaylin, what did you think of the trailer? Um, I mean, it shows that like Marvel is putting a lot of um, emphasis behind this miniseries. I, I do think it's weird, and we're going to get into the issues here in a second, that the Hellfire Gala ended with Wanda's death and Wolverine saying, get me Magneto. And none of the X books last week or this week have touched on it at all. It just feels kind of weird considering how tight the continuity has been. But let's talk about the trailer itself. Um, I think it looks good. I think the art looks lovely. There's all, there's, they're already like kind of playing fast and loose with it. They're saying, and like Wanda's dead and Magneto killed her. Or did he? And then they show like Mystique and Mr. Sinister and Exodus and, you know, uh, other folks, uh, the more villainous folks on the Quiet Council. And so Trial of Magneto starts in August. It runs however long it's going to run. And then Inferno starts in September. I don't know how it can't be Mystique at this point, mm -hmm. unless I am completely just off base. Um, like it's got to be it's it's like this has to lead into that if continuity has to like is is being followed um but i'm excited i'm nervous that leah williams is going to be writing it because uh we've had some very strong opinions about her x factor and that last issue was really really it left a bad taste in my mouth um but uh i know y'all talked about it a couple weeks ago on a podcast i wasn't on but um so i don't know i mean the trailer looks cool i'll just say that yeah, yeah, it looks nice. We usually have really shit-looking trailers, but the 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 animation, uh, such as it were, actually worked with uh, the at least the illustrations that we were looking at. Yeah, my concern is the one you were highlighting, Kaylin, which is trying to make it too much about the who done it is probably going to make it much more disappointing. I think a, a a why done it might be better, or you know, if there was actually some mystery about how this could actually occur, um, you know, I, I think that they should try and cut that off at the beginning and just have this be as like a, yeah, we admit it. We did a stunt promotion by calling it the trial of Magneto, but here's the real story. Clark. Yeah. I mean, I think the tw real twist would be if he actually did kill her at this point. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and we also <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's like, he's like, you're my real daughter. Um, and she's like, can you get me a white wine? And he's like, my daughter would never have a white mm-hmm. wine. And then he murders her for some really petty reason. <laughs> it sounds good. I mean, I, I'm thinking that this is going to somehow re-mutant her. I don't. Oh, for sure. I don't think That's this exactly. is about being. This is not what I don't, I don't. This isn't about the trial. Of Magneto is not about the trial. Of Magneto in my mind, or at least it's an avenue yeah. through which. But we'll yeah, see. She's going to get resurrected. She's going to get resurrected, and she's a mutant again. And then they'll make Wanda a mutant in the MCU. So, yeah, synergy working. Maybe it's a suicide. Maybe it is. It's so sad. Actually. Actually, actually, that's not the worst thing I've heard. That's, They're not going to have a could... random suicide that turns magic. That's a very strange message. I think the, 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 the interesting debate there, the, the interesting debate there would be because Magneto was the one who pushed the, the, the combat to the death as being your test for like, you know, you, you deserve to the get crucible. resurrected. Yeah. yeah, the crucible that she kills herself to get resurrected and come back as a mutant. And he's the one who's like, no, I don't know if we can do this because she didn't go out the crucible method. Uh, well, yeah. We see her running. Yeah, we see a, in the trailer her running away. From herself. Yeah, but they always, her they, are, are, they, always put in these, they always put in these fake cartoon clips. They're not real. They're not part of the comics. They draw these extra stuff. There to you throw go. People the same. She's on angry yeah. version herself in a mirror and had to run. Yeah. The other, the other potential, it could be Pietro killed her but i don't know like i don't don't know just because he's been such a big part of like her big storylines uh but they haven't really yeah well that's been the trailer park now let's get on to them get on to them issues kaylin all right so we had four issues this week three x books and one non-x book uh first up is excalibur number 22 by teeny howard and marcus toe were the regular team Speaking of the team, they uh, the team plus Beast encounters fan favorite Sheriff Gina Whitechapel while looking for some mineral samples in Blightspoke. She warns Excalibur that it ain't easy being a witch breed in Otherworld, and Merlin doubles down on that sentiment at the Fair and Foul Courts meeting at the Starlight Citadel, and essentially wages war on Saturnine, who in turn asks Betsy Bat- Braddock to handle it, uh, and attempt to handle it she does along with Excalibur. They run afoul of Merlin, who turns out to have the actual King Arthur as a prisoner slash weapon. Meanwhile, Pete Wisdom gets resurrected after being stabbed to death by Clan Akaba, and he promptly works with the Five to resurrect the Agents of Strike, the UK's answer to S.H.I.E.L.D. So a few questions for y'all. How much better is this book without Rogue in it? I really feel like um, this is just a completely, it's like a completely different writer has taken over because it doesn't seem as constrained by necessary like particular plot points. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's um, as uh, monolithic a voice on each of the characters. Um, it, it feels so like a breath of fresh air as far as this story has been going so far. I mean, this has happened every single time. We've, we've read something where it didn't have the roguiness of it or only had three seasons of her or anything like that scenes of her um that it's a fascinating book very interesting i like all the the finally like ca- characters that actually feel like she wants to write are being written and written well and written so they actually connect in a way that actually feels like 
holistic story instead of just and then rogue showed up and you know she said something nonsense and then suddenly it's about her even though none of this should be about her at all that's what i feel like i think most of anything is that she, everything that happened to her didn't she didn't didn't deserve her from a storyline perspective it could have gone to somebody that actually previously could have connected to it just felt like someone wandered in off the streets okay. go ahead brett oh i was you just gonna ask did we did we canonically know that Gia Whitechapel had a Western Southern accent? Because uh, I, was did, I, was, I was a little was bit surprised. Uh, I'm like, why does she sound like, like her voice is written like she's from deep Alabama. I didn't no, expect didn't. that for Blight spoke. <laughs> when we first met, she said, but we ain't interested in a vote. Me, my posse and I, and I and in is apostrophe in apostrophe because, you know, instead of and. Yeah, yeah. sure. But she always had this. Okay. I didn't, maybe it's because she just did not say much before that I'm like, wait, hold on a second. I know you're wearing a Western outfit, but come on. You're in Blightsburg. <laughs> yeah, I, I, about being the Wild I, West of nothingness. I, I, what I'm afraid of is Whitechapel and Gambit just going back and forth, and it's like the worst of like an Alabama, oh, and the worst of a Lu Louisiana yeah. accent going back and forth. No, I, I definitely really, really enjoy this issue. I, um, I like the little bits of continuity. Like the, one of the info pages was uh, Mirage and Karma talking about how they just went to uh, Merlin's kingdom uh, and um, and like gave gave the Excalibur team intel. Uh, Beast's inclusion was a little weird. Like, I know he's like their scientist, but he's also like feels weirdly Machiavellian until we find out like why he's looking for minerals in uh, Blightspoke. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really mind it. And I, I, I love the banter between Saturnine and Betsy. Like, Betsy's mm -hmm. voice is so fucking good. Like, I love that. Like, she's like, she's like, I'm not my brother. I'm not going to go up and have a glass of wine with you, aka bone you. But I really do hope that they have. They are absolutely going to I bone. felt it. I felt it so hard. Yeah. They are yeah. going to bone. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, uh, go ahead, Clark. No, keep going. Um, I also, um, Pete Wisdom, I have felt has been written kind of weirdly in this comic. Like he's de he doesn't have the same voice as like that Paul Cornell or uh, Warren Ellis or like other like British writers gave him, and mostly because Teeny's not. English, as far as I know, um, but I liked like the trajectory of his storyline. He got resurrected. They can't go to the UK because mutants aren't allowed. He gets like the five to resurrect Strike, uh, and like now I want this to either be a big part of this book, or I want like a Pete Wisdom and Strike miniseries. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, some as someone who is not super familiar with this character so far. Um, what I've seen from him has been like a person who's in a difficult position to being a person who's gone, who's extremely vulnerable. And this is the first actual like uh, agency he seems to have uh, moving him more toward like an actual dangerous figure. Um, so, you know, coming in at this point in his, you know, character cycle, I'm very excited to see what he does and what his uh, intentions and plans are. Clark? I feel like there's an always been a wobble with him about whether he is like under the foot of the government he's working for, or if he's the one running whatever situation is in, like, you know, MI 13 yeah. wisdom series himself. And then even with his original run um, and black air, all sorts of nonsense. I'm saying hundreds of words at once, but like, as I, it does feel like he's finally getting back 
from uh, back out from underneath the boot that's stepping on his neck. Which, and, you know, finally, you know, resurrecting these agents to strike, I feel like he's going to hopefully have the voice he used to have. Yeah, he has agency again. Yeah. So to speak. Um, cool. Anything else on Excalibur? Let's move on then yeah, to yeah, Way of X. Yeah, yeah. What's the story with, um, with, with King Arthur showing back up? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you have Merlin, you have Mordred, you have Morgan, Morgan Le Fay. You're going to have to bring in Arthur. So it just was like... The last time he's been used in the Marvel Universe. And it's very confusing because there was like an Arthur Pendragon, like weird um, Marvel UK series. I don't know if they're going to be bringing Marvel UKness into it. There's a lot of stuff, but there isn't really much of him as a Marvel Marvel character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm intrigued. You were used. Yeah. And and then, like, can, should they bring in the Black Knight then? Because, like, like he's, like, you know, uh, like, he's certainly been part of it either where you're talking about Sir Percy or Dane Whitman, um, which could which could happen. All right, let's move on to Way of X number four by Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn. On Arako, Lost tells Nightcrawler and Legion a cryptic story. Dust shows up to deal with the volcanic dust uh, from the largest volcano in the solar system. And Nightcrawler has a comical encounter with Fabian Cortez and Gorgon. Oh, and Legion and the Zorn brothers kill Charles Xavier and everyone in the Green Lagoon bar after they find out about the return of Onslaught. The issue ends with Legion creating uh, a refuge slash sanctuary on Araco. Um, I think I like this issue, but I think there's a lot of weird disconnectedness. But what did you guys think? Brent? So I'm a big fan of the really bizarre pair up of Legion and Nightcrawler. It's like a super straight laced guy and his friend who's always rolling on Molly. I think they bring a very interesting yin yang, you know, kind of chaos order energy. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, I think I'm very glad that they brought Dust into this story uh, because she's a character who I always thought was very interesting. And I hope that we get to see her more. As far as how this story is actually, you know, folding out, um, in, you know, on a broader perspective, I don't think I know anything more now about the non-religion religion that Nightcrawler is starting. And I also feel like I've got this like I'm experiencing the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon with Fabian Cortez. Like his name has come up once and now I can't fucking get away from fucking Fabian Cortez. And I'm not quite sure why. I, I'm going the same way as you guys. I, I, to me, this feels like two storylines, you know, like for a regular comic, there'd be a storyline that runs six issues. And then, you know, like storyline number two, it feels like they're shoving both on top of each other. This, the Fabian Cortez lore stuff just seems i don't know i mean it's it's size barrier he's going to tie everything up nicely and it'll be good but it's so frenetic and somewhat not enjoyably so because some, one part's funny one part is science and one part is you know oh my god everyone got blown up it, it it's just so emotionally all over the place that it doesn't feel fun yes right i do think that the um the, I do agree about the kind of uh, the jerk that's, you know, goes along with like, is this part comedy? Is this part like really serious and dark as being weird? But the the individual character interactions, I still like. So, uh, mm. you know, um, uh, Legion talking to Charles. I will, I did want to add though, Onslaught has the stupidest fucking costume I've ever seen. 
Um, it's it's <laughs> it, absolutely atrocious. It it's is the nineties. It is the it's the uh, the 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 cargo pants pockets of uh, having shoulder pads. It's terrible. It's awful. Uh, Brent, if you were uh, your age reading comics in the 90s, you would have been like, what the fuck is this? You would have hated comics. Like, I think you would have found a few that you really dug, but like mainstream, like trying to trying to do this podcast in 1996 while Onslaught was happening, you'd be like, fucking kill me and get me off this podcast immediately. Um, (laughs) And I would I would have obliged. But um, what's interesting about Way of X, and we'll talk a little bit about this when we get into X-Core in a few minutes, is I feel like. I like I like what the X books are doing, but it feels like a lot of background stories are being pushed to the forefront. Like this would be a background story, like all the various vignettes would be background stories in a, you know, an X-Men run or New Mutants or X-Force or whatever. And like I I appreciate that it's not just the usual like good versus evil, beat them up, you know, kind of stuff but it still feels a little um, jarring at times because we can't see the through line for the plot. And maybe we'll, you know, look back after the six, the first six issues and go, Oh, this is what he was trying to do. And, you know, that never well could be the case, but we're reading this, these books on a monthly basis. And sometimes it's like, huh, I'm not really sure where this is going, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Clark. Do you remember the people of Springfield episode? where it was like everybody had tiny little stories, like every random Springfield yeah, character. 20, tiny 20, 22, like episodes, 22 stories. Yeah, yeah it's, that's what it feels like. There's lots of tiny things. And it's that that um, episode sort of built up to something by the end, but it it, it does, it, to me, it just seems like lots of, as you said, little vignettes just popping around that are fine in, the, in and of themselves. I did love uh, the interaction between Fabian Cortez and Nightcrawler uh, where he Nightcrawler finds a solution to uh, the way Fabian is sort of controlling Gorgon by just doing like little weird comical acts and making everybody yeah. laugh and changing changing the mood. Like I was like, oh, that's that's really clever. That's just yeah. I, that's the kind of shit I I like people using their powers in like creative uh, and different ways. That it's not just about beating up on the quote unquote bad guy, Brett. I think this this story could be the the way of X storyline could be much more interesting if they actually leaned more into the vignette part of it that each of these stories is actually a character study in these weird people mm-hmm. and what you get from it is Nightcrawler and Legion interacting with all these different groups of people and then at the end kind of having this be tied together in some way by understanding what Nightcrawler's plan is and what Legion's plan is. Yeah. Uh, I have a hard time believing that all the smart people and all the the um, the Omega mutants didn't realize that there's going to be dust storms and issues with um, the moons the and volcanic. everything. It just, yeah, it just yeah. seems like really okay. I don't know. That annoyed me. Yeah, I like dust a lot. Like that just seems stupid. It just seemed fucking dumb. Like everyone there is stupid. And what the fuck was that? How are they so amazing to like build this whole thing and everything and, and have every sort of plan? This is where we're going to build this and that. Oh yeah, there's going to be moon dust and shit. So I will I will quibble with that a little bit. I don't completely disagree with, you, but like I think it kind of mirrors them creating Krakoa, uh, where it wasn't like the ecological stuff that they had to deal with. It's more about the 
setting up the laws and culture like they haven't quite figured it out so like they're like there's an oversight of certain things that they like that didn't quite come up and so i can see somebody saying oh well fuck we forgot about the volcano and the dust and on mars slash Araco. that's 12 people versus everybody involved in this thing yeah i don't know i think exactly there's 12 still- people who kind of hate each other but there's also the approach that they seem to be taking throughout all of this, which is like, let's let's solve one problem and then solve the next problem when it comes up. Yeah. yeah. But that was also, for Rocco, that was also 12 people. I mean, it was like, it was Magneto, it was Storm, it was Iceman, and then it was those three Iraqan mutants. So uh, let's move on to X-Bore number three. I mean, X-Core X number three. Oh, uh, shady bitch. Uh, by Teeny Howard and guest artist Valentin Delandro. So X-Core has expanded into telecom, specifically the highest of high-speed internet. But of course, this being an X-Book and all, the launch of their new product doesn't go according to plan. Plus, Madrox is a bad dad. Uh, uh, Monet threatens Sarah St. John uh, not to work with Fenris. And Trinary and Windancer go to a business expo. Um, God, is it me or is this book just really dreadfully boring? It's not just boring. It's, it's boring, but at the same time, it is so dense with boredom. Yeah. yeah. The boredom per square inch yeah. of page. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> I, I feel like there's concepts in here that I'm interested in, but I, I, I also feel like I have a hard time following any of the story. Like, I love the idea of Madrox as this mad scientist. You know, maybe he's a, you know, delinquent father. Uh, And I like the idea of, you know, what would these women who have been a part of mutant society, how would they respond to, you know, um, um, the the kind of TED talk style, like relationships, power, those those kind of conferences. I think those are great concepts, but I honestly don't know what they're supposed to be doing at any part. I will add one last thing, which is I kind of liked the artwork in this. It really felt like it was for an indie comic of some sort. Um, so it was a different style to, to go through. I do like the, the art, but I like it not for this. Yeah. Um, I, I, Matt, I don't like what they're doing with Madrox at all. Layla Miller was the least Layla Millery of ever creation of all time. She's so interesting and that was lame as all fuck. Um, I'm struggling with uh, the fact that I feel you know, the info pages and info dump pages and stuff like that, sometimes infographics to me. And I mentioned this feels like this is a series of infographics that they then decided to have people talk and have illustrations in between the two in order to make the infographics make sense instead of the other way around. Yeah. They are not filler. They're, they're the bones of the, of the story. I feel like this comic uh, to my earlier point, could be like in the background of Marauders for another book. Mm-hmm. Um, because while I like Monet a lot and, you know, Warren Worthington has been in some interesting storylines. Trinary is one of the better characters created in the last few years. It just feels very, I don't know. It just feels very pedestrian. Uh, it's like they're at a fucking business expo you know, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But we're talking about the X books right now. We're talking about, you know, what's happening with Krakoa. And it just feels so mundane compared to everything else that's been that's happening in the books, even whether whether it's great or just not so great. Like this feels like 
very ho-hum. Clark? I do like the fact that we finally really enjoy one Teeny Howard book, and then now we have one another one of hers that we don't like. This definitely, obviously, based on the fact we didn't like Excalibur at all, and now we do. It's not about her. It's about what it's being written about, in ha- you know? I agree. She's clearly talented, and I think when she finds, like, the characters and the story she wants to tell, um, she sings, so... All right, let's move on to uh, our one non-X book this week, Thor number 15 by Donny Cates and uh, guest artist Michelle Bandini. And it feels like it's been months since we read a Thor book because I was like, I almost wondered, did we skip an issue? Uh, yeah. We didn't. Uh, it's just been it's just been a couple of months since the last one came out. So King Thor, ruler of Asgard, is still having trouble lifting slash controlling Mjolnir. So he heads to Earth to talk to his buds, the Avengers. And while talking to Captain America, Thor reveals that immortality has a price, and that price is the lack of short-term memory, uh, which makes a little bit of sense, actually. Also, he reveals that in becoming king, he's losing control of the hammer because only a warrior can wield it. Um, What did you guys think? Clark? I mean, I like the... I, I, I didn't really think about the fact... I mean, just the fact that someone's lived for eons and even if they are living right now, everything is like one second of their life is suddenly a hundred seconds of our lives kind of thing. It was very interesting characterization. I do think Donnie Cates obviously does well with characterization, especially with adapting things we've seen a million times and then finding some weird characterization bit out of it that would make sense, which I quite enjoyed. Brent? Uh, what is the right, what, which way is up on a hammer? Like, is it when you're holding the handle that the the head is up if you're holding the handle or if you rest it on the ground you know it is up the direction the handle points because they put the text of you know thor's magical hammer in my mind upside put it put it the way that someone would read it if they're trying to hold the hammer i look i view the hammer as like an ipad so whichever way you turn it, that's the way. The oh yeah, will it's be. got a great rotation. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's a magic hammer. Why the fuck not? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's that's true. What what am I fighting with a hammer about? <laughs> You'll lose. Yeah. Um, but I I I missed this book. I didn't realize how much I missed this book. Um, and it's giving me a like a Thor that feels like Thor, but it feels like the natural evolution, and like. Um, you know, we've had like the Thor, the unworthy, the hammer going to Jane Foster and all that stuff. And this feels very different. Like the fact that, um, Loki could lift the hammer was really interesting to me. Whereas Thor is having a hard time with it. It just, it's, it feels absolutely fascinating. Clark. It made the, um, Aaron, you know, the Mark, whatever his name is, Jason Aaron Avengers that seemed cool and functional and interesting as opposed yeah. to the actual comic. There oh my no- God. Can I, can I tell y'all, I have, I, I, I read like on Marvel Unlimited, like the first, whatever, 40 issues of the Avengers. It ain't good. It's like, it's a fucking slog to get through. I'm like, Yikes. it is so boring. It's so boring. And I'm like, from a writer that I think is actually good and quite talented and did a, did a great run on Thor uh, before uh, Donny Cates jumped on. But who do you think is going to be carrying a hammer now if Thor can't? I don't see why um, Beta Bay Real, Beta Bay Real, Beta Bay Bill wouldn't be since he has his fucking whole, whole miniseries. They wouldn't be t- leading that up to nothing. Nah, that's probably right. Yeah, he he finally, uh, you know, looks like what he wants to look like, 
and he comes back and picks up the hammer and then he's reset to being the horse guy again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. I, uh, think I don't want to lose horse guy. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Brent, I don't know if you hear a sound, but I'm hearing a little sound here. It's a news flash. All right. Um, everyone's talking about them and we just sail the winds of public interest. So let's talk about some Emmys. Um, a lot of big wins for, or about a lot of nominations for, uh, you know, sci-fi comic book uh, shows. Uh, the Mandalorian got 24 nominations tied with The Crown. WandaVision stacked up a bunch of nominations. Um, uh, the Boys, The Mandalorian, Lovecraft Country were all listed in the Outstanding Drama Series. Uh, WandaVision made it to Outstanding Limited Series, along with uh, uh, I May Destroy You, The Queen's Gambit, and The Underground Railroad. <sighs> Elizabeth Olsen got a lead actress, and a nomination for Limited Series. And uh, I hey, think Brent, the let me, weirdest let me... one, which is the one I want to start with, Outstanding Guest Actor. What's that? Uh, Do you have something, Brent... No, Brent, you're just breaking up a lot. Uh, uh, so I was going to just jump. You're just, I was just going to jump in. So you cool. you said you wanted to, you wanted to start with uh, Don Cheadle as like outstanding guest actor in a drama series, which is weird because he's only in the first three minutes of the first episode of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I like Don Cheadle a lot. But like the fact that like someone like Carl Lumbly, who played Isaiah Bradley, didn't get that nomination just seems like a crime to me. Well, I also thought it was weird that it's outstanding guest actor in a drama series when everywhere else it's characterized as a limited series. I feel like oh, they yeah. need to characterize the show and then sort the actors based off of the show's characterization. Yeah. Um, going to the, uh, the uh, be uh, best lead actress in a limited or anthology series, I saw a really funny meme uh, that said that I fear that this category will divide the gay community forever. And it's mm -hmm. like Michaela Cole and um, Elizabeth Olsen, Kate Winslet, Anna Taylor-Joy and Cynthia Anvio. Uh, 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 um, and it's like, it's true. They're all so fucking talented and like they all have their gay stands. But Clark, you about to say something? Um, the reason that they don't shut, there's, there is no category for best supporting um, for a mini, mini series. Is there? I didn't think there was a best, uh, an outstanding guest, outstanding guest on a limited series. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, they shoved that. All, all the guests are together. Every guest is together in all, in all dramas because they don't want an extra two for each one and an extra two for comedy and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Do we know anything about who's actually supposed to be hosting these Emmys? Um, shit. Yes, we do. And I forgot who it was. So in this case, it's going to be an actual person rather than the. Let's let's see if we can do it without a host. Well, wasn't last year? It was all over Zoom, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and different people had similar audio problems that I'm having. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I I think this is like overall. I, I'm generally quite happy with the Emmys. I've seen some news stories where people are like, "The Emmys fucked up again." But I, I feel like from a from a like a BIPOC or uh, a um, a and a queer like perspective, we were getting some decent representation 
as far as uh, nominations go. I mean, I will start a riot if Michaela Cole doesn't win. Um, Just know that now because she deserves everything. Clark? Um, Cedric the Entertainer is the the host. Oh. And um, I do like the fact that the Emmys have in the last two, three years maybe, just are embracing genre film. I mean, excuse me, obviously, genre television so much. So it's not just the same prestige shit over and yeah 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 modern Modern family got nominated again even though it's been off the air for three years yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, people people are now complaining that it's getting too getting too netflix and and now it's disney plus and all this kind of stuff so it's just somehow corporate run even though the whole thing's been fucking corporate run from the goddamn beginning it's just different corporations yeah i mean it's like what's the difference between it it coming from a streaming service versus you know made by fucking nbc who cares i I do i do feel that the um network television channels should just give up on trying to get an emmy now yeah they need to reform those models few and far between no one wants to watch shit that's cut up a hundred thousand pieces you can't get emotional depth out of it because of that yeah for sure well uh moving on uh marvel's fifth captain america in the united states of captain america series that's currently ongoing is a veteran named jeremy merrick um he is inspired by an actual serviceman that the writer (laughs) christopher cantwell met a few met several years ago um what were your thoughts on this choice as the kind of final addition to the Captain Network in this series? Kalen? So um, a few weeks ago, um, a friend of mine pointed me out to somebody who made some weird comment when um, Juneteenth was made into a holiday, like when it was signed by President Biden. And then I think everybody's company gave him the day off, which was great. Um, and so that person said, well, you know, well, great. This, this is great that like, you know, black people are getting this, but what about veterans? Forgetting the fact that there's Veterans Day, M- Memorial Day. Um, but it just feels like, like somebody at Marvel uh, <clears throat> said, well, we're giving all this representation to queer people, people of color. We should give representation to veterans. Forgetting the fact that Captain America himself is a veteran. Steve Rogers is a veteran and it just feels like, and this isn't anti-veteran screed because I'm sure we'll get attacked for that, but, uh, or I'll get attacked for that, but it just feels really weird to, to do that in this mini series, which has been a little weird and flawed in its own way, but I, I appreciate its intent that like you're, you're having, you know, a, a, you, in the first issue you had a, you had this, gay Captain America, the Captain America of the railways in upcoming issues, you're going to have somebody who's Latinx, someone, you know, who's Asian American. And then, and then like, and then the fifth call, uh, category are veterans. It's like veterans aren't, a, they're not a protected class. They're not, you choose to go into the military. You, you're not born like this. And it just, it's, it's that kind of like mentality that drives me a little crazy. And I, I'm just really disappointed that Marvel did this. Um, I think it makes sense. I do not think it makes sense last. It make it, the the it, the equating between all these different types of people is very strange because, as you just said, it, it it that's not it's a it's a it's a choice versus actually who you are as a person, um, or sometimes not so because you're from a military family and you're being forced to be in a military. Um, 
I, I think it's kind of necessary now that we're literally getting out of Afghanistan. We're getting out of a war after 20 years and they're going, he's going to be talking, commenting on that exact thing. What, what war meant in the 1940s versus what war meant now getting out of war versus the 1940s versus now where you're like, here, I'll just fucking having babies like crazy in the baby boomer generation clearly. And what does it mean now? Um, I think this would have been better explored either in a different comic, which actually probably, it definitely should have been explored in a different comic. Um, and if not, if it had to be in this comic, it should have been third or fourth, probably definitely third to, to make it not seem like, you know, gay, you know, race, 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 uh, whatever, VA. Veteran, veteran, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, uh, Jeremy Merrick's um, kind of the, the group he focuses on is protecting veterans who for different institutional structures you know, are fall victim to, you know, different uh, predatory institutions. I do think there is a place for a character like this. Um, but I think that that place is either as um, um, here is how you be a, a good white heterosexual ally, mm -hmm. or it is uh, uh, maybe more targeted toward the kind of pseudo military uh, people who, you know, are, are they're often very MAGA that kind of believe that they're defending the country and that their vision of a country is the right one, that really that they are trying to buy into some version of the military that isn't real. And to have a character who can like pull people away from that and say, we are supposed to be protecting the freedoms for all people and we are a multicultural society. There might be some way that this kind of fits narratively, but I do think it is weird to have him be the, you know, the final one. Clark? It just feels like kind of a capitulation for all that nonsense that happened on Fox News when the most the first issue of this miniseries came out where they're like, Captain America hates America and blah, blah, da, 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 da. It just feels like, and then two weeks later, they introduced, you know, here's a white guy in this miniseries, love him because he's military, even though obviously he's going to be a liberal version of military and not probably still, Fox News will still get mad about it. Yeah, I agree with you guys on, like, I think this is an important story to tell, but it should have been done in a separate book rather than as part of this. And that was my initial yep. reaction. I mean, I think, you know, it could be written really well. This character could be really intriguing. The cause that, you know, that uh, is behind this issue makes a lot of sense. It just feels fucking weird to put it here. This miniseries seems weird. And based on issue one, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. A new Star Trek movie is in the works with J.J. Uh, Abrams as a producer and WandaVision director Matt Shockman. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, the script is by Lindsay Beer and Geneva Robertson. Um, it is unclear if this will be in continuity with the Chris Pine movies. Um, do you think you guys would like to keep the Chris Pine crew or uh, do you want? Uh, would you want the Star Trek movie to go in a different direction and kind of what direction would that be Kayla if you had asked me this after the first uh Star Trek movie that J.J. Abrams in 2009 I'd be like yeah I'm all for it uh but now that we've seen three Star Trek movies um and the third one was really kind of blah the second one was not good and the fact that Paramount Plus is putting so much time and investment into their kind of like area in the original universe with Discovery and the Picard show, regardless of their quality. It feels weird. It just feels, it feels like no one's really talking to one another about uh, about the direction of this property. 
Um, because I gotta believe if Abrams is involved, he's gonna want to do like Star Trek 2.0. It's the 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 reformed continuity. Uh, because otherwise, like, why would he be involved? And but to do that, it just I don't know. I I think audiences are smart enough to differentiate between different universes. Clearly, like we have the concept of multiverse coming into Marvel. We've had it in the CW shows for DC, but um, it just feels, uh, and I think my uh, perspective on JJ has soured so much because of the Star Wars movies. Um, and it's not completely his fault, but he's still linked with them about the lack of direction that they had, the, the, the sequel trilogy that like, I feel like this, if it comes to fruition, will also have a lack of direction with what everything else Paramount's trying to do, right? With a critical response to uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and, and beyond, my hope is that, you know, the production studio would recognize that they need to take this down a different road. And because there's so much room to explore different characters and different stories, the dream I have would be that they completely abandon the, the Pine uh, uh, story, move it somewhere else, move it to a different time, different location, I don't care. Uh, just get it far away from the stuff that you've already done because people have had enough of that. Um, people are liking Discovery, they like Lower Decks. There's different ways that you can explore this universe that aren't the same retreads, but obviously the retreads are already pre-sold, so they get yeah. audiences then. Do you think we'll get of the um, next generation folk? I feel like there's been such a long pause between um, these movies, what, five years or something? That It's been five years since, yeah, years. beyond. Poor Antoine Yelchin is dead. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think all the next generation stuff is being explored in Picard. Well, yeah, I just don't know uh, what they'll do. I don't really care what they'll do. Actually, my answer is I don't give a fuck, but <laughs> I don't care at all. Lateral. Move. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mentioned this to some of our friends who are uh, major Trekkies, and they were like, huh? What's that now? Uh, they, they were definitely not feeling it. Well, uh, that's been our podcast. Uh, if you don't hate us, tell your friends about us and give us a good rating and a review. Uh, we've got tons of great videos on our new YouTube page, Homo Superior Podcast. Uh, we're still cranking out tons of fun content and jokes on Twitter and Instagram. We will have uh, uh, extra issues for Black Widow and Lo the, all of Loki season one next week. Uh, what more do you want from us? You know, is there something fundamentally unlovable about us for mass consumption? You know, let us know in the comments. We've been Homo Superior. <laughs> and uh, if you listen closely, we're one of the voices in the intro to Loki episode six. So go back and listen to that at full volume. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.